0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. As we continue our walk through one of the most exciting books, but yet also the most intimidating books in the entire Bible, and that is the book of Revelation. And so today we are finishing chapter 1. And we are looking at verses 9 through 20, and we are looking at the fact that Jesus Christ is the living one. And we are going to see how that is played out in scripture today. Let me go ahead and tell you that even from my own point of view, it's almost like drinking from a fire hydrant. I would encourage you, if you have a copy of God's word, to open it to Revelation 1 so you can walk through this with us. But I do believe it's a timely message for us to have today. Uh, as we are, some would say that we are in end times and other would say that, that We are nowhere near it, but it doesn't matter. We always need to be ready, and so I've been looking forward to this passage, and I was telling Donna, I don't know if anybody else is going to get anything out of it, but I sure have learned a lot, and so uh, hopefully we can walk through this together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your revelation, and may it be honoring to you as we read about it today in our service, Lord, whether it be in this building or whether it be by way of the internet. uh, Lord, I pray that you work in a way that only you can. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we see, I want you to know that Jesus is more alive today than he has ever been. And last week we began our journey into the book of Revelation with uh, the setting of the book as our study. The book is the Revelation of Jesus, It is Jesus' revelation as our returning King. And He is the Almighty One, as we learned last week. But not only does Jesus have a plan for His ministry that He had here on earth, He also has a plan for His return. And now it's all in the will of His Father, but He doesn't know the time, He doesn't know the place, but He knows that it is coming. And so... As we look at our time this morning, we see that not only does Jesus have a plan to return, he has a plan for the church as well. And hopefully, uh, it will include you and I. So, if you decide to obey his call, you will be a part of Now listen, no church is perfect, and however, it does mean that we must work on those areas where we are short. Where we fall, since the church is a body of individuals, that means that the responsibility begins with you and I. So, last week Jesus got John's attention. This week he told him what to write and who to write to. So let's go ahead and just jump in. In verses 9-11 through we see in Revelation chapter 1 that living for Jesus is a partnership. It is a partnership based on a relationship and a calling. So two things, a partnership based on a relationship and a calling. Let's read. It says in verse 9, it says, I, John, am your brother and your partner. There's a relationship and there's the partnership. I am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard a man behind me, a loud voice like a trumpet. It said, write in a book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You see, so we see here John, your brother and partner, there is a relationship between John and Jesus. Now, John is not quite sure what's going on. All he knows right now is that there is a loud voice that he is hearing. But both are partners, meaning that they are working together. And both are invested in the preaching of God's Word. Now, John acknowledges that suffering here builds endurance as part of a partnership. If anybody has ever had to partner with somebody to start a business or to work on a project, you know that... Yes, you might be able to make some money. Yes, you might be able to get some things accomplished. But there is also a lot of hard work as well. And so, you know, if you think about a partnership, there are business partnerships. Each person shares in the organization's profits, but also they share in the losses as well. And uh, they may share in the business operations decisions as well. Then another type of partnership that a lot of us have experienced and are in or have been in are the partnership of marriage. Two people joining together with a commitment to God and to one another to love each other as God has loved them. Now, there may be times where you don't like each other, but you will love one another as God has loved us. And that is a partnership that we look at. And so the two become one there is no more his and hers but it is ours and emotionally financially physically and literally so partnerships and relationships end when one or both of those involved lose sight of the reason they came into to to partnership in the first place so what made the difference for john what what caused john to be able to want to write this well It says right here, it was a calling. God called him to write the book of Revelation. John had already committed his entire life to Jesus, and there was no going back. He was there for the crucifixion. He was there after the resurrection. And he is here preparing us for Jesus' return. So the call upon John's life was so great that even in his suffering for his relationship with Christ... He knew it was worth it because of the call that Jesus had placed on him. And so the next thing we see because of this passage is that God can use you even when it hurts. God can use you even when it hurts. You see, if you are a believer in Jesus and have placed your life, In the hands of Jesus, after he has called you to serve him, to follow him, to trust him, and to obey him wherever he leads you. That type of commitment only takes place when there is a real relationship. And when you love Jesus enough to trust him, you will love him even when it hurts. You see, John, if you look back at the passage, John wrote the book of Revelation while exiled on the island of Patmos. So I went to Google Maps, and I Google-searched on Google Maps, Patmos. And so you can see here, if you were wondering where Patmos is, there's Turkey, and there's the Aegean Sea. And i zoomed out enough to give you some perspective to where it's at, but where that dot is, you can't even see the island. And so this was, in the Roman Empire, this was a prisoner's Island. This was their version of Alcatraz. And so what they did was, John was the last apostle. A lot of those that had seen Jesus had been with Jesus, and he was up in his 80s, and he was getting feeble, and they wanted to send him, they wanted to keep him quiet, so, so they sent him to this island where all of these prisoners were now he didn't have to do a lot of the hard labor that they did but they thought hey we'll just ship him out to an island let him live out his days there and he won't impact anybody little did they know that john could write while he was in prison what does that say to you and what does that say to me never let your age or environment make you think that you are unable to be used by god Never let your environment or your age make you think that you are unable to be used by God. John was in his 80s, and he was in a prisoner's island apart from everybody. And still, we are studying his book today. That's pretty amazing. What could John do? He could write. He had already written four books of the Bible, the, the book of John in the New Testament, and then, of course, Letters 1, 2, and 3. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so now he's writing Revelation. So at least at my last church, a group of senior adults had decided to do something. You would think, well, what can senior adults do other than cover dishes and going out to eat? Well, they can do a lot more. These senior adults would take old curtains that were donated to them and make sleeping bags for the homeless people. When I first got here, there was a sweet older lady that would go from church to church and give sleeping bags for homeless people that she made out of plastic grocery bags. So don't think that because you are too old or too young or too fat or too skinny or too whatever else that God can't use you. God can always use you, and we see this in John's life as well. Regardless of your circumstances or the environment, God has placed you to serve him with whatever gift he has given you. And we see that. And so we see here that Jesus speaks when we worship him in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly a man behind me, or a loud voice behind me, like a trumpet blast. Folks, if you want to speak to Jesus... If you want to hear Jesus' voice, you have to worship Him. You have to spend time with Him. You can't hear from God if you're reading your Bible study while you're watching Facebook, YouTube, and think and trying to catch up on emails. You can't spend time with God or even, I mean, we're here once a week, whether you be watching on the video or you or you are here in the church service. Once a week is great. But how healthy are you going to be if you eat one? Meal a week. Now, I love my veggies. I do. Veggies and carbohydrates. Yeah. We, we, we love the comfort food, don't we? But the thing is, is that if we only ate one meal a week, what would we look like? We wouldn't be able to survive. And so we must worship Him. And then John gives, or Jesus gives John the command in verse 11 to write a book. In other words, some translations say, write on a scroll everything you see to the seven churches. And he lists those there. The second thing that we see, it is time to take Jesus seriously. It is time to take Jesus seriously. Now, I know that the one thing that's on everybody's mind is the election. We are nine days away. We have seen two debates. We have seen town halls. And everybody is polarized between two candidates. But you realize God willing, God willing that after nine days and the votes have been cast and whenever they are confirmed, the world will still go on unless Jesus decides to come back. And it's time to take Jesus seriously. Look at verses 12 through 16. It says, when I turn to see who is speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like a mighty ocean wave. He ha- he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Now I want you to hang with me for just a few minutes as we look through these things because you can get a lot out of the imagery here. First of all, turn to Jesus Give him your full attention. Can you imagine John in his 80s is getting ready to be revealed that he is seeing the same Jesus that was crucified, that was beaten, that was whipped, that rose, that is now in his rightful, kingly place. He is about everything that he has dedicated his life to is now about to be seen and to be realized. We must turn to jesus we must give him our attention and so we see here that we must turn to jesus today while there is still time now we see that there's seven golden lampstands we see that there are seven stars in his hand and i want you to understand there is a significance about the number seven and we'll talk about the significance of the lampstands and the stars in just a moment but seven i've heard people say well seven is the number of god you ever heard that? It's not. Because if seven is a number of God, when you read later in Revelation where it says the beast has seven heads, that ain't God. What seven meant, the seven is a number of completion. Seven is a number that's saying when you have seven, everything is accomplished and everything is finished. So the the theme that can be seen throughout the Bible when you see the number of seven begins way back in Genesis 1, where God created the earth on six days. And on the seventh day, he rested because everything was complete. So the number seven signifies that some type of divine mandate has been fulfilled. So let's, let's move on to the lampstands. Even the lampstands and the seven, they were the seven churches that John is writing to. They are a representation of the churches. And now even the lampstand is a callback to worship in the temple. What would happen is, is they would, when they were in the wilderness, they would travel around, they would set up camp, and they would set up this area with, with poles and very thick walls to so where the whole room would be dark, and they would put a lamp in the middle of it. Some of you have heard about it. It's called a menorah. Many of the Jewish faith still use those, especially around in Hanukkah. And it is one lamp, or well, it's actually one, it's, it's one lamp stand. With seven different plates on it to where you could, they could put the oil and they could put the light so the light could be in that one stand with seven branches. And that was to signify God. That was to signify that Israel was God's chosen people. It was one stand with seven branches. But now we see in Revelation, we see seven individual lampstands. Times have changed. It's no longer just God's chosen people, but the Gentiles too. They are spread out, and these lampstands are seen here in Scripture. And the function of these golden lampstands, what is the function of a lampstand? A lampstand does not give light, does it? A lampstand puts the light to where people can see it. And so as we see seven churches in Revelation that are being mentioned... We see the fact that they are the lampstand folk. Homeland Park Baptist Church is a lampstand, not a lamp in itself. We are not the light, but we are to position ourselves as individuals and as a church that put the light in the best place possible so it will shine the brightest And so we are just like some of these other churches. And so, again, going back to the number seven, why is he only writing seven churches? Obviously, God thought these seven churches would be enough to where anything that any church would go through, this is a complete list of those churches. So you can see Homeland Park in these churches. You can see yourself in these churches. You can see the first Baptist of the big church. You can see the little churches. You can see the churches overseas. These seven churches complete or are encompassing every other church. So the warnings to these churches, you can't say, well, they didn't write at the Homeland Park. We must be pretty good. No, it's for everybody. It's for Everybody. And then we see the significance of the Son of Man. That is a very big title. Because we see that it has been prophesied all the way back in Daniel 7, verse 13, talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, being the Son of Man. That is a title that Jesus used for himself. And then one other call back to worship, back in the Old Testament, you will see in that that passage that it talks about that Jesus had the gold sash and the beautiful robe. If you go back and you read about Aaron, who was Moses' brother, God chose Aaron and his family to be the priestly leaders of the folks of the Israelites, and so in the tribe of Levi. And so when they established the worship back way back then, and when they had the the tabernacle, and when they would go from place to place. The priests, they had beautiful robes, they had beautiful ephods, beautiful sashes, with diamonds and rubies, and each one of those rubies signified a certain thing. And so we see now that Jesus is not just a priest. Jesus is our high priest. No other way can go to heaven. No other way we can intercede and get to God, because only through God we don't need a priest to kill an animal to atone for our sins, because Jesus has already done it. We worship Him, and He is the high priest and He is the only way to heaven. It's not being closed-minded. It is just the truth. And He is returning. We also see that His hair was white. Now, one thing that you've got to understand in our culture, when we think of white hair, we think of sweet little old people. We think of insure. We think of medicine commercials. We think of Depends commercials. And we think about our future when we become that age. But I want you to understand something. Our culture has got it wrong. Because in the Bible, for someone to have long hair, or not long hair, but to have white hair, for someone to have white hair, it was a sign of honor. It was a sign of spirituality. It was a sign of reverence. It was for them to be honored. And so when you see Jesus returning with white hair, it is showing His, his, his authority. It is showing His wisdom. It is to esteem Him above all. All. Just to esteem Him over all because He is worthy of it. We see also that His eyes were like flames of fire. We see that his feet were like bronze. Bronze back in the day was the strongest metal that they had. So if we were to rewrite that today, it would be that uh, Jesus, or he had feet of titanium. In other words, Jesus is immovable. He is planted. He was, is, and forever will be invincible. Then it says his voice thundered like the mighty ocean. I don't know if you've ever been at the base of a, a waterfall, or if you've ever been to like a water park that has one of those big deluges of, of water that comes out, or if you've, I know Don and I, when we were in college, we got to go to Niagara Falls. Boy, that's something to see. Or even if you've gone to the, the Hartwell Dam and gone to the bottom of it while they open the gates, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? To see all that power coming out. And so, in this vision, we see the true, mighty, Unrestrained power of Jesus Christ. And then we come to the significance of the seven stars, which we'll get to in just a second. Now this was really interesting here. We see here that it talks about the significance of the two-edged sword. It says Jesus has a two-edged sword in his mouth. It, it doesn't mean that he's a pirate. It doesn't mean that he is, is, uh, you know, some kind of hooligan with a knife in his mouth getting ready to To slash somebody. It says this two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth. What the illustration here is, is that the sword that they're talking about is the very word of God. The very word of God. And it gets even crazier. Check this out with me. And I put it on the screen for you so you can see is that on the left, I have Hebrews 4.12. Now, most people, if you've been to Vacation Bible School, or you've been in church for any amount of time, you are at least familiar or remember hearing something about this verse. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts And desires. So if you go back and you look at the actual Greek of that and the type of sword that he's talking about, it's much like a, a sword that is used, uh, to be nimble. It is, is a sword used to make specific cuts. In other words, when we read God's Word, it is to, like a surgeon's scalpel, it is supposed to cut away the things that God doesn't want in our life and add things. That we want. So we see a two-edged sword in Hebrews 4:12, and then in Revelation 1:6, he says a sharp, two-edged sword came from his mouth. I, got, I want you to know that the, the Greek word for that sword is much different. That Greek word means this is more like an axe. It is a killing machine. And it is the word of God. So what does that mean? While we are alive and while we have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to read God's word and let it change our life and to let it cut us where it needs to cut and join us where we need to cut. But one day we will either be blessed by it or God's word will crush us. That's what that sword is. And it is not some type of weapon that somebody has made. It is the very word of God. This word that you hear preached, this word that you study, this word that you apply in your life is giving you life. And some of you, it will give you eternal life. But for others that reject it, it will be their very judgment. Don't look at Jesus as that pale, emaciated, white, Anglo-Saxon figure on a cross that has maybe a couple trickles of blood coming down his body. No, he is coming back as a warrior. Pretty significant. I thought that was pretty cool. And the third thing you see is that you can trust Jesus, the living one. You can trust Jesus, the living one. He says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. So see, he tells us right here, the seven stars are the angels. Of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches, so when it says to fall at his feet prophets prophets would often fall prostate in other words they would if i 'm dating myself, but there was an old uh, movie that we saw when we were teenagers called wayne 's world, and these two buffoons they would sit around and any time they would saw they saw somebody that was a great musician or someone that they idolized, they would say, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, and they would bow. And it was funny back then, but the truth of the matter is, is that back in that day, and even one day, we will all have to bow on our knees and look at Jesus Christ and say, we are not worthy. And then Jesus says, look, don't be afraid. And he picks us up by the shoulder. That's what's happening here with John. And he says, don't be afraid. Did you know that the word don't be afraid supposedly occurs 365 times in the Bible? That means one for each day. Don't be afraid. So what do you see? You can trust Jesus because he is the living one. He is alive yesterday, today, and forever. You will not find his bones on this earth anywhere. He is God, He is resurrected, and He is returning. You can trust Jesus because He holds the keys to death and hell. Some translations say death to He has the keys to death and Hades. I want you to understand this. Many people think about hell as, as the devil's office. That's where he clocks in, right? That's where his desk is. That's where he calls into his little meeting room, all his little dominions and demons. And he says, look, this is what we're going to do today. Like he's in charge of hell. Jesus holds the key to hell. And Satan only does what Jesus allows. Satan is a prisoner there. Jesus is the warden, and He controls, and He holds the keys to death and hell. That is why when our Father passed away last week, we can have hope, because Jesus holds the keys to death and unlocked that death. And when you pass away, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you will be with Him again, because He holds the keys, and He will open up, and He will say, Do not be afraid. Come on in. Whew. I'll get excited in a minute. Let's go back to the seven stars. I never really addressed that. Notice it says that the seven stars were the seven angels of the seven churches. That does not mean that each church had its own guardian angel. The word angel in the Bible simply meant messenger. So what are the seven angels? The seven angels are the heads, the preachers, the pastors of those seven churches. And man, I'll tell you what. It's humbling to this preacher to know that whatever happens, good or bad, when I proclaim his word, I am right in the middle of his hands. I am right in the middle of his grip. What a responsibility. But what a blessing. But check this out. Jesus, the living one, outshines them all. Go back and look as we close out this morning at verse 16. He held the stars in his right hand and the sharp two edged sword came from his mouth. And I, I passed over it a minute ago, but I want you to see the significance of this. And his face was like the sun in all. Of its brilliance. I don't know about you, but one thing I love about living not in the major city or even in Anderson, our city, we can still, most of us, wherever we're at, at some point we can look up and see some stars, right? Any of y'all like to watch stars, anybody? Any of y'all know how to point out the stars? Okay, of course. Of course. Uh, Rhett, if you will, give me a lesson someday, all right? Uh, all I know to do is point my phone up to it, and it'll tell me what it is. But whether it be the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, or Orion, or whatever else. But here's the thing. The thing about stars. The stars are always shining. The stars are always shining. But when the sun is out, you can't see them. Because the light of the sun eclipses the stars. And so what I want you to see is that what he is saying here is that we don't need to put our faith in stars. We don't need to put our faith in pastors. We don't need to put our faith in churches. Because at the end of the day, Jesus outshines us all. And so if I as a pastor am trying to build my star, that is a mute point. Because he outshines it. As a church, if we are trying to build our name so that we can say, people say, Oh, Home and Park, they got a bunch of people. It doesn't matter because Jesus outshines it all. John was commanded to write down what he saw. We are commanded to obey it. So quit placing your trust in things that will rust, break, or fade away. Jesus is the living one. Accept and obey him today and reap the rewards for eternity. Amen. Live for yourself now and be punished for eternity. Either way, eternity is a mighty Long time. Make your choice today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. So much for this warning. It's not to spook us out. It's not to make us fearful, but it's to wake us up. It is to get us to quit playing church and quit playing Christian like it's some type of political party. And to be the church. And to be concerned for people that are lost and will go to hell. It is your word. It is your promise. And it's not your desire that anyone should perish. But may we read this book of Revelation. May we get ourselves right and our heads screwed on straight. And may we have a passion for those that are lost. And if there is any person here, either in this church or by way of this video today, that is unsure and and does not know their eternal security, does not know if their faith is in Jesus or in something else, and does not know that if they were to die right now, they would be crushed by the very word of God that has been shared to save them. I encourage them to reach out to me, to their pastor, to this church, And don't let today end before they know for sure that they're on the right side of this revelation. We love you, Jesus, and thank you for your word. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.